You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good Palm Sunday morning, Grace family. I have addressed you as Grace family thus far, and I will continue to do so. But I am also aware that there are many people who are not part of our church family, our immediate church family, who are watching these services. So I wanted to give a bit of explanation about the way that we preach at Grace. And when I say we, there are several others who preach besides me. I'll probably be the main person you see. <laughs> but <clears throat> here's the way we do. An explanation would have helped last Sunday. <clears throat> Our church has been going through the Gospel of John since February of 2019. Uh, we've had several breaks, mind you, but our primary focus has been in John's Gospel. Uh, if you joined our service last week, you will have heard me preaching from John 14, 25 to 31, and you may have thought, well, that's an odd passage to choose. But it was in the middle of our sessions on John. Now, <clears throat> two weeks prior to last week, I had looked at texts that spoke very directly to our current health crisis. And these next two weeks, today and next Sunday, uh, we will celebrate or remember and celebrate with Christians all over the world, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. So why put that one message from John 14 uh, into the mix? Well, it was a reminder of how important routine is. And John 13 to 17 is one unit known as the Farewell Discourse. It was the, the, <laughs> the teachings and actions of Jesus on the night before he was crucified as he taught his disciples in depth. And we've been reading John 13 to 17 for several weeks, reading it over and over. And every single week I see something that, oh, wow, that, that's interesting. I don't know that I've seen that before. Uh, the, so, <clears throat> before getting to today's text, I wanted to share that with you. And I also want to make an important announcement. Two weeks from this morning, we are going to conduct online the Lord's Supper. The elders and staff have prayed and studied and discussed this much. And while we recognize that many churches have chosen to wait until the body comes back together, as 1 Corinthians says over and over, when you gather, do this. Even so, we have decided to include it in this space along with adequate teaching about the supper. Uh, we're not trying to establish new church practice. We are getting through this time. Are there problems with this way? Uh, of course but we would rather share this meal together as best we can than not partake at the table. So be ready two weeks from today, April 19th. Make sure to have the bread and the juice or the wine as the case may be, and be prepared to worship with us at the Lord's table. Tomorrow, two members of our church family appropriately named Mike and Micah Church, along with their daughters Parky, Parker and Gabby, 
I was trying to say the two names at once, Parker and Gabby, are going to be moving, sadly, from Harnett County back to the land where they grew up around Lafayette, Indiana, Boilermaker country for Big Ten fans. Because our area in southern Harnett and and uh, North Harnett and Southern Wake are so transient. I rarely mention when people come and go uh, because, only, because uh, I never want anyone to feel left out or to give the impression that I'm preferring one family over another. But Mike said something several months ago that perfectly introduces our text this morning. Mike said, for so much of my Christian life, I, I thought that the Bible was about me, about how I could live a successful life. I've come to understand, though, that the Bible is about God. It is about Jesus. For those of us who know what to say, and most of us do, that doesn't feel like such a spotlight moment, maybe. But for any believer to come to such a conclusion is a major paradigm shift. The Bible is not about me. It's about Jesus. Today's text, Luke 19, verses 28 to 48, is a perfect example of why my church is exactly right. We're going to miss all the churches. Thank you for your service to us, and especially in the children's ministry, but to our entire body. We're going to miss you. Luke 19, verses 28 to 48, is a lengthy text. And rather than reading the familiar account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, found in verses 28 to 40, we're going to focus our attention on verses 41 to 48, which describe Jesus' emotions, his actions, and his instruction on the day that we remember as Palm Sunday. So after the sermon, sometime later today maybe, go back and read all 21 verses and then watch everything just fall into its proper place. I want to encourage you to join us for our Good Friday service at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, this Friday night. And I hope that you will also be with us next Sunday on Easter Sunday when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, all from Luke's gospel. Let's get to the scripture now. Luke 19, 28 to 48, although I'm only reading verses 41 to 48, and I will be re re uh, reading from the English Standard Version. I want to encourage you to have your Bible open in that place and to keep it open because you're going to need this <clears throat> uh, several times throughout the message. So Luke 19, verses 41 to 48. And when he draw near... And saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. Terrible words, horrible words of prophecy by Jesus upon the city. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
And he entered the temple and began to drive those out who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priest and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The title of the message is Blessed Fear. Do these seem like mutually exclusive terms to you? Blessed fear? Some fears are good, are they not? I mean, most of us are exhibiting a healthy fear of both getting and unintentionally spreading the virus. We have an appropriate fear of breaking the law or of allowing uncontrolled anger to spew out of our mouths toward our boss. Some fears are indeed healthy. Today's text talks about the most appropriate fear of all, the fear of God, the fear of God, not the fear of man, but the fear of God in the person of Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? I know a lot of you would say, oh, I love him with all my heart. He's my savior. Others of you might say upon hearing some of his words, well, I certainly don't agree with that. He should not have said that, or even if that's who he is, I want nothing to do with him. Christians, of course, believe Jesus is the Savior of all who will repent of their sins and trust his death on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for sins, as payment for the debt that their sins have incurred, the debt that they owe the Lord. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Furthermore, believers acknowledge that all sin is our trouble. All sin is wrong, not just the ones that we don't have trouble with. I mean, it's easy for me to say, oh, that's a sinful thing you're doing, and not mention the problems that I have in my own life. Many religious people would acknowledge Jesus' important role in their beliefs, but they don't agree with everything that Jesus said. And they think that people have evolved in this modern and postmodern, which is back to modern almost, era, to the point that we're better prepared to respond to cultural norms than Jesus was. Now think about this for just a moment. If we acknowledge Jesus is God, then the discussion must end about what he said. Maybe we interpret some things a little differently from one another, but whether or not he said certain things, we have to get over. He's got the right to say them. I'm not trying to provoke you, only to say that if Jesus was and is God, then we do not get to make him into the kind of Messiah we want him to be. That was the reason that the religious leaders rejected him. They were looking for a Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to come. They just didn't want it to be Jesus. He wasn't the kind of Messiah they wanted. Today's text deals directly with the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, and it informs perfectly our response to Jesus as well. If you are watching or listening, 
You must respond one way or the other. Three places at the deepest levels of our soul are in view. Beginning with, one, there is no peace apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we see this in verses 41 through 44. You will recall from our study in John 11 how Caiaphas led the Jewish leaders to decide to put Jesus to death. And, and he did so by saying that one person should die rather than the whole nation should perish. The nation of Judah had an uneasy peace with Rome. And Caiaphas was saying that if Jesus' followers got out of hand, the Romans would take away the limited freedom that the people had. The Jewish leaders were far less concerned about, or far more concerned, I should say, about their own positions of authority, though, rather than the people's interest. If you heard last week's sermon from John 14, you may remember that when Jesus and New Testament authors invoked peace, they were referring first and foremost to a forensic or a legal peace between two opposing parties, the same as we would describe a peace treaty between two nations. The peace we're talking about last Sunday and today is necessary for relations between a righteous God and sinful people. The religious leaders thought that because they kept the law as they interpreted it, that they were right with God. Furthermore, their wealth and their positions of authority confirmed what they suspected in their hearts. They were righteous and God was pleased with them. At the same time, they looked down on the rabble that followed Jesus. If poor people were right with God, wouldn't God have blessed them with material possessions? That's the way the religious leaders thought. So as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, his heart began to break. Tears streamed down his face, even while his disciples were rejoicing and preparing to proclaim him king of the world. <laughs> the Greek word for wept in our text carries a strong sense of grief. Jesus was sobbing as he approached Jerusalem. Like the prophets in the Old Testament, Jesus took no pleasure, no satisfaction in delivering the news of the city's coming destruction, and it would be complete. Jesus knew that he was, he was the only hope for people in their relationship with Yahweh. He knew this because he was God. And as we read uh, a few weeks ago in John 14, 6, he told his disciples on the night before he was crucified, I am the way and the truth and the life. <clears throat> no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no peace apart from Jesus. And the political peace that the Jew Jewish leaders hoped to maintain with Rome would come crashing down in devastating ways within 40 years. Why? They failed to recognize their one hope of peace with God when it was presented to them. Jesus was directly in front of them, in fact. And they said no. 
If you are watching or listening, please do not let this moment pass when the Lord is speaking to your heart from his word. The Lord is presenting the way of peace to you in Jesus at this moment, and you do not want to miss this time. Do not get caught up with, yes, but what about this belief of Christians? Or there are so many different ways. Or what about that action of, of believers? The only question you need to answer is this. What will you do with Jesus? Second, there is no security apart from God's design for our lives, apart from walking in God's design for our lives. Luke 19, 45 and 46. Excuse me. <coughs> Robert Karras contends that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. I read Karras' comments in a wonderful little book that I've just begun called A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. Not that I'm obsessed with food or anything. As I was preparing for today's meal, uh, I mean message, I skimmed chapters 18 through 21 in Luke. I didn't see much about food except for Jesus' meal with Zacchaeus. But I did find another theme that absolutely required my attention. It was the theme of money. Now, this is not going to turn into a message about giving, although I absolutely will encourage you to give at least the same percentage to the Lord's work that you have already been giving. If you have been making uh, more money than you're now making, give a smaller amount, but keep the same percentage. If you're not a believer, give generously to the charity of your choice. A generous heart will always bless you more than it does others. So again, let me encourage you to give. It's even more important now. In his many comments and teaching about money, Jesus put his finger on a far darker place of our souls than simply a desire to have more stuff, which is likely why the Lord led the Apostle Paul to tell Timothy that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not that money is a root of all kinds of evil, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Power, authority, control, arrogance, access to private sin that rarely stays private, security in yourself or business, and blindness to the possibility that you might be wrong all stem easily from the love of money. To name a few, in Luke chapters 18 to 21, here is what I found. The parable of the persistent widow, which likely involves money. Luke 18, 1 to 8. The Pharisee and the tax collector. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that scum of the earth over there who doesn't care much. In fact, who takes money from others. I do what I should do with money. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. The rich young ruler 
who had it mostly right, except that he could not let go of his money. Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. Jesus heals a blind beggar who is at the mercy of those who would spare a little change. Luke 18, 35 to 43. Jesus and Zacchaeus, a converted tax collector, giving back four times what he had improperly taken. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. The parable of ten minas. A mina was worth about three months' salary. And the parable was such that the owner gave three of his servants ten minas and told them what to do with it. Uh, two made money on it and one hid it. And he applauded the two who made money and he judged the one who had hid it and did not do anything with, his, with what he had been given. Jesus drives the money changers out of the temple, Luke 19, 45 to 46. The parable of the wicked tenants making money for the owner or rather wickedly seeking to overthrow him, Luke 20, 9 through 18. Questions about paying taxes to Caesar, Luke 20, 19 through 26. Beware of those in authority who love greetings in the marketplace and take widows' houses from them. Luke 20, verses 45 to 47. The Pharisees' offering contrasted with the widows' offering. Luke 21, 1 through 4. By the way, this beautiful story of the widow giving all that she had, or essentially a day's wages for which she would use, or a day's a stipend that had been given to her uh, for which she would use to buy food, she gave it all to the Lord, uh, indicates that it's not how much we have. It's the heart that we have and how we give generously to the Lord. And the Lord keeps different books than we do. So don't worry about your money. Although I know we're all worrying about that right now. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not a dry cough, okay? So that is quite a list. Occasionally, uh, I would think as I was reading through this list, well, that's not about money, but it was. In nearly all these accounts, Jesus is attacking the underlying sinful heart that is controlled by the love of money. He exposes the hypocrisy, the impulse to control, the arrogance, the patronizing spirit. And at the heart of it all, a false security that one is doing the work of God and is evidenced by money. God has a way of, our, of getting our attention, does he not? Again, do not think that Jesus was pointing out that money itself was evil. In fact, some of these accounts were of those who should have used the gift of money for the good of others. Wise investments and profits were applauded and a failure to in invest was judged. Although that, this had more to do with the use of our gifts in the kingdom than it had to do with the money or the, the, that we had or was given to us or the proper stewardship of the money that was given to us. <clears throat> when Jesus drove out the money changers in the temple, two things were revealed. Well, surely there are more than two points of focus, but I'm going to mention two. First, 
Jesus exposed the greedy hearts of the Jewish leaders who had turned God's house into a business. They thought that they were always right. That's another thing that money can do to us. It makes us think we're always right. The leaders had devised a way to provide animals to use for sacrifice for travelers who were in town on holy days, which sounds like a good thing, but they did this at an obscene profit. <clears throat> there is a reason that our laws prevent merchants or individuals from making too much money on toilet paper in our crisis. The leaders of Jesus' day were running the scam. I am sure there were some who cheered Jesus' actions, even while others were a little frustrated because now how would they find animals for their religious responsibilities? So Jesus was exposing the hypocrisy of the people who were making money off of poor people. The second point of interest to us is Jesus quoting Jeremiah 7, 11, as he accused the religious leaders of converting the house intended for prayer into a den of robbers. As always, when a New Testament author or speaker quotes an Old Testament verse, you need to understand the context surrounding the verse for the New Testament lesson to make complete sense of what is being said in the New Testament, lest you be guilty of making or causing crafting Bible verses to say exactly what you want them to say. It can turn you into speaking rather than God speaking. In Jeremiah 7, the religious leaders were used in the temple for idolatrous and wicked practices. And Jeremiah prophesied that God was going to tear the temple down and there was no turning back. The false security in the temple would be exposed and destroyed. The false security in the hearts of the people surrounding the temple, they would say, oh, God's house, nothing's going to happen to us because of God's house. But that would be exposed and destroyed. In Luke 19, Jesus said, as it was before, so it is now. You have a false sense of security because you are prosperous and you control the people through this house. You are secure in your positions of authority over the people. You think my opposition to your evil ways threatens your roles uh, of, uh, of power in this world. And you are right because your security is in the wrong place. If you would pray to the gracious God of heaven, you would know who I am, and you would know his blessings. As it is, the symbol of your security will be destroyed. <clears throat> there are far too many nuances here to go into all details. <clears throat> the Old Testament of promise of God to his people was, Obey me, serve me, Love me, obey the law, and I will bless you in every way imaginable. Imaginable, spiritually, financially, emotionally. Your children will live and be prosperous. The problem was and is no one can keep the law. And to be guilty of one point of the law is to be guilty of breaking the whole law. Jesus died to pay for our sins. And now... 
as we have been told in the farewell discourse, Jesus said, if they hate you, know that they first hated me. Do not be surprised when they treat you in the same way they have treated me. The good news is that when we walk according to God's design in Jesus, our security is not in money. It is not in our position in the world, in our health, nor as crazy as it seems, is our security in our safety. Our security is in the Lord. Psalm 37, 39 says this. The salvation of the righteous and those who are righteous are those who have trusted in the Lord. The salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. Oh, I hope that is true for you. There is no peace apart from a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no security apart from following God's design for our lives. And last, there is no genuine hope apart from hanging on to Jesus' words. Luke 19, verses 47 to 48. Let's read verses 47 to 48 again. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priest and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything that they could do. For all people were hanging on his words. One of the reasons that Jesus cleansed the temple was that he would be teaching there for several days. And so he both exposed and rooted out the sin and corruption that existed. And so the temple leaders said after the temple was cleansed, Oh, thank you, Jesus, for, for pointing out our error to us. We agree with you. Ha! Hardly. No! They were continually seeking to destroy Jesus. But the people, the people were hanging on his words. And so the leaders couldn't arrest him. Peter spoke for many of us in John 6, while, while others were walking away in droves. And Jesus asked his disciple, will you go also away? Will you also go away from me? Peter responded, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where is your hope placed this morning or afternoon or whenever you see or hear this? Is your hope in the world getting past the virus and especially your family being safe? Is your hope that the economy will recover and especially that your family will be okay? Is your hope that the political and social animosity that has so long plagued us will dissipate in the common understanding that in such a time, we need each other. We're so alike and we need God and we need one another. All are proper and commendable expressions of hope. But hope in the New Testament sense is not, I hope there will be gloves at the pharmacy, pharmacy so I can stay safe from the virus. 
No, hope in the New Testament points to our hope of eternal life. And eternal life is wrapped up in Jesus. If I'm not here to preach next Sunday, my hope is not in being here. My hope is in Jesus. The people hung on Jesus' words. What a powerful witness and reminder of where our hope lies. Our peace with God, our security in this life, and our hope in the next fully reside in Jesus. On this Palm Sunday, when we remember his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, know that he rode into town to die. Jesus knew that our sins would never allow us to stand before a holy God as righteous and worthy of being in his presence. And so he took those sins upon himself. He came into town to die, but he also pronounced judgment on those who would not believe. Look, I understand we don't like people to pronounce judgment on us. Although, we seem quite comfortable with meeting out copious amounts of judgment on others, even if we only do so in private. But the judge we stand before today is the God of the universe, the creator of the stars, the keeper of your soul. Hang on his words. Believe in him and ask him to help your unbelief. Would you pray with me? I'm going to read these prayers. I've written them out. I've asked the Lord to lead me in all of this message. So I'm going to be reading these prayers. But would you just bow your head and pray with me? If you do not know Jesus, you may need to think about this before you pray. But this may be the very moment you need to call out to the Lord. It's never a wrong time to call out to Jesus in repentance and faith. So do not miss this opportunity. And if you don't know Jesus, would you pray this with me? Lord, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I know that my sins have separated me from you. I confess my sins and I ask you to forgive me. You have promised that you will forgive me if I trust Jesus' death as the sacrifice for my sins. I believe in Jesus. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. With your help, I commit to serving you all the days of my life. And I'm so thankful for Jesus and it is in his name that I pray and offer myself to you. Amen. If you are a believer, would you pray something like this with me? Lord, I have trusted you as my Savior, but I must ask you to forgive me for living as if my peace, my security, and my hope can be obtained in this world. May I learn to trust you. May I not even try to discern what you're trying to teach me other than to trust you and to hang on your words even if all others walk away. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for saving me and for reminding me that the salvation of the righteous 
is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and may this holy week be a blessed week for you, even though it's a difficult one for believers up through Good Friday and, and up until Easter morning. On that day, all will be put right in the most magnificent way. I would encourage you to read both Luke 19 through 24 and John 13 through 17, if you're able. That th Those are a lot of chapters, and if you can only read one of those sections, read uh, Luke 19 through 24. The chronological order, if you are so inclined, is as follows. John 19, 1 through 22, 38. Then John 13 through 17. Then Luke 22, 39 through Luke 24, 53. God bless you. See you soon. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.